everyone. Welcome to Lower Manhattan Community Church. Merry Christmas. My name's... Wait, was there reciprocity there? I thought I heard someone. Thank you, thank you. Um, my name's Jacob. I'm one of the pastors here. Glad that you're joining us today. Today is kind of a, a special Sunday. It's a, it's a family service. And uh, sometimes in the past we've tricked you. We've said family service, and that's like code for we don't have enough kids workers. So your kids will be bored. But not today. Today we, uh, we set a family service. We're going to do it a little different today. Um, we're going to have the kids come up. We're going to do a little Christmas sharing and story time. And then we're going to do uh, a much shorter sermon. So it's kind of a win-win. Win for the kids, win for the adults. So hopefully, uh, hopefully this goes well and your kids won't hate you. So if you're, if you're a kid, we have the younger kids in the back. Older kids, you guys can come up too. Why not? Jacob, thank you. I like that. We can, we can go with that. All right, well, kids, young people, glad you're here. What, what's happening in a few days? Christmas. 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 Are you guys excited about that? Yes. I was going to come. Wait, what? Uh-oh, we have a confession here. Naughty. Well, we'll wait and see what happens. So, kids, I, I can't make any guarantees, but... I think if you say in front of the whole church what you want for Christmas, the likelihood of that happening is going to go up quite a bit. I can't guarantee. So let's hear. How about you, Asher? What do you want for Christmas? Um, a sword. A sword. That, that is a very bad idea. I don't mean to crush your dreams, bro, but that's not happening. <laughs> All right, who else? How about Rima? What do you want for Christmas? A makeup kit? That's it's a little bit more feasible. You're, you're kind of young, but it might happen. We'll see. Uh, how about some of the older kids? Hank, what, how about you? A GoPro, which GoPro. is a camera. Oh, one of those happy What is it? It's like an underwater camera. You can use it like while you're surfing or swimming or like. Underwater camera for like surfing. That. Perfect. Okay, all right, that sounds pretty cool. That's like the guys skydiving they have on their head. All right, Mr. Habush. Uh, money. <laughs> money. No, I think, uh, I think maybe Josh was right about your gift, coal. Um, a money maker machine. A money maker machine, all right. That, that might be illegal. John, what? We're going to have to talk about what's happening in your uh, Brooklyn townhouse over there. All right, well, g- gifts, gifts are a good thing, but I'd like to ask you guys a question. What, what is the true meaning of Christmas? Wrong. Wrong. Coal for you also. All the Habush boys are getting coal. How about... Come, come up. That Jesus was born. Yay, all right. 
Miss Emily is doing her job. Thank you. Nope, Sonny, sir. So what what we're going to do now, I want everyone to be on their best behavior. We're going to read the Christmas story together, okay? So I'll, I have my book here. It's going to be up on the screen as well so the adults can enjoy if they want. We have that book. Yeah, this is the, this is the Bible the church gave you guys. That's why you have it. <laughs> All right. It will be on the screen, too, if you guys want to look at it that way. <coughs> Everything was ready. The moment God had been waiting for was here at last. God was coming to help his people, just as he had promised in the beginning. But how would he come? What would he be like? What would he do? Mountains would have bowed down. Seas would have roared. Trees would have clapped their hands, but the earth held its breath. As silent as snow falling, he came in, and when no one was looking, in the darkness he came. There was a young girl who was engaged to a man named Joseph. Joseph was the great, 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 great grandson of King David. One morning, this girl was minding her own business when suddenly a great warrior of light appeared, right there in her bedroom. He was Gabriel, and he was an angel, a special messenger from heaven. When she saw the tall, shining man standing there, Mary was frightened. You don't have to be scared, Gabriel said. God is very happy with you. Mary looked around to see if perhaps he was talking to someone else, Mary, Gabriel said, and he laughed with such gladness that Mary's eyes filled with sudden tears. Mary, you're going to have a baby, a little boy, and you will call him Jesus. He is God's own son, the God who flung planets into space and kept them whirling around and around, the God who made the universe with just a word, the one who could do anything at all, was making himself small and coming down as a baby. But it's too wonderful, Mary said, and felt her heart beating hard. How can it be true? Is anything too wonderful for God, Gabriel asked? So Mary trusted God more than what her eyes could see, and she believed. I am God's servant, she said, Whatever God says, I will do. Sure enough, it was just as the angel had said. Nine months later, Mary was almost ready to have her baby. Now Mary and Joseph had to take a trip to Bethlehem, the town King David was from. But when they reached the little town, they found every room was full. Every bed was taken. Go away, the innkeepers told them. There isn't any place for you. Where would they stay? Soon Mary's baby would come. They couldn't find anywhere except an old, tumble-down stable. So they stayed where the cows and the donkeys and the horses stayed. And there in the stable, amongst the chickens and the donkeys and the cows, in the quiet of the night, God gave the world his wonderful gift. The baby that would change the world was born. 
his baby son. Mary and Joseph wrapped him to keep him warm. They made a soft bed of straw and used the animal's feeding trough as his cradle. And they gazed in wonder at God's great gift, wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. Mary and Joseph named him Jesus, Emmanuel, which means God has come to live with us. Because, of course, he had. All right, kids, I need you to do a favor for me, okay? On Christmas morning, in just a few days, when you guys are opening your gifts, and you're having fun, and you're happy, and you have your sword to play with, I want you guys to be the ones to remind your parents, okay? You need to stop and say, Mom, Dad, I'm really happy that Jesus came to the world, okay? We don't want to forget what the real meaning is. So I'm going to pray, and then you guys can go back to your seats, and the younger kids can go. Whichever you want. (laughs) All right, let's pray. God, we're really grateful for children. Uh, We're grateful that even at a young age, they can start to understand who you are and the love you have for us and uh, the gift that you sent in Jesus Christ. And God, we're grateful for our kids at LMCC. We want them to grow in you, to to know who you are and how much you love them. And God, also use them to to help their families grow. Uh, Use them to... Uh, remind their parents and their siblings um, about who Jesus is and and why we celebrate uh, this week. Uh, Thank you again for these kids. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, guys. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah, you were good. You were good. you don't have any kids, I don't know if that's going to inspire you or make you want to hold off, but got to love the kids. Well, like I said, we'll do a shorter sermon than usual. Uh, We're in week four of our ongoing series through the Gospel of Luke, and uh, as fate would have it, it just happened to line up perfectly with Christmas time. So today we're going to be talking about the birth of Christ, Um, relatively short passage, it's found on the back of your program. Uh, so it's a good week for, for a shorter message, hopefully. There's going to be three, three parts to today's message. Uh, the story, the absurdity, and the paradigm. Okay, The story, the absurdity, the paradigm. Uh, short, but hopefully meaningful. So let's, uh, let's jump into it. We're not going to read the whole passage, even though it's on the program. But let me just kind of tell you the story. Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, the birth of Christ. Um, so first of all, in those days, Caesar Augustus decreed that there would be a census. So Caesar, the, the Roman emperor, wanted to, to get a count of everyone in the Roman world. So people were, were mandated. They had to go from wherever they lived to their, their hometown, where their family was from. And the census was taken for two reasons, uh, for military service and for taxation. So the Jews were kind of a unique uh, case because they were exempt from military service. So in their case, it was to know how much Rome could tax the people. So not really a, a favorable condition for uh, Mary and Joseph making this trip. Basically, the powers that be, their oppressors, are saying to them, whether you like it or not, you need to go from your home in Galilee down to Bethlehem in Judea. So for them, uh, that meant a trip of about 70 miles. 
Uh, if you were to go straight through as, as a bird flies, it was about 30, 40 miles. But the longer, safer route uh, that went east and then down along the Jordan uh, was about 70 miles. So we're talking about a journey of, of several days. Um, Mary and Joseph were poor. They had a single donkey to carry a pregnant woman, their, their stuff. And probably Joseph just walked along for, for, for a few days on end, all because Rome said, you have to pay us taxes. I can kind of relate to this. Abigail was born on tax day, so it's a similar struggle that I have to endure, just like that. So they, they really had no choice. So this trip from, um, from, from Galilee to Bethlehem wasn't like a it wasn't visiting your family for the holidays. It wasn't like a joyride. This was an act of subjugation. So the, the colonial powers, the rulers, the, the oppressors said, you must go. And it didn't, marry, it didn't matter that Mary was nine months pregnant. That was inconsequential to them. Whether they liked it or not, you had to go. Um, Bethlehem is the city of David. It's called the city of David because that's where King David was from. And it's significant in, in this narrative. Maybe you remember in, earlier in Luke, King David is mentioned a, a few different times. Um, probably most notably in Luke 1, 32 and 33, the angel is saying to Mary, the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. So David was the great king of Israel. He was kind of the, the gold standard of, of all kings. Uh, he wrote about half of the Psalms that we have in the Old Testament. And looking at David was kind of the golden age of Israel. That's what, that's what people longed for. That's what people wanted. And there was also a sense of expectation that came along with the line of David. Uh, when David became king, God had promised that from his throne, the, king, the kingdom would continue forever. So it, that, wasn't, that didn't turn out to be true. It only lasted uh, several generations and then was no longer king. But there was this belief and this sense that it would happen again. That from the line of David, there would be a, a new king to rule over Israel. So Bethlehem is, is a significant place. The fact that uh, Joseph and Mary both were from the line of David is significant. And the fact that they were there for Jesus' birth is significant also. Because even though they weren't there by choice, it was a fulfillment of prophecy. Uh, there's several verses in the Old Testament that, that talk about this. Uh, but just to look at one, Micah 5.2, it says, but you, but you, Bethlehem, Ephratah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old and from ancient times. So a ruler from ancient times, Jesus Christ, the one who is there from the very beginning. So a fulfillment of prophecy that he was born in Bethlehem. So that, that's kind of the first uh, two-thirds of Scripture reading. And then we get to the birth, the actual birth of Jesus. And I'm reading this this week, and it's kind of underwhelming. It's kind of anticlimactic. There's all this buildup, angels appearing, talking to, to Mary and to Joseph and to Zechariah and Elizabeth. And then we get to the actual birth, which you think is like the climax. And it's just, it's nonchalant. It's just kind of mentioned there. 
While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. It's just, it's normal. A baby is born. And we think that this is kind of extraordinary. Maybe we've heard uh, sermons about this too, about just how crazy it was to be born in a manger. Well, you have to remember that people from all over that part of the world are, are coming to their hometowns. So you have people from all over who are, who are on their way to Bethlehem for the census. So it just was full. There was no room for them to stay. They, they took what they could. And they, they had the birth that isn't that atypical of a poor first century Near East Jew. It was, it was normal. And, and that's, that leads to point number two. Point number two is the absurdity of the birth. And I know that's weird to say, right? We're a few days before Christmas. We're saying this is absurd. But first of all, it's absurd because this is not a kingly birth, right? If, if there was an expectation, if there was a hope that the coming king was going to take the throne of David and rule, then you'd expect something dramatic to happen. You'd accept something, expect something really remarkable, but it wasn't. It, w- it was normal. It was a birth that any poor person could have had at that time. And maybe that's not completely absurd, right? That's maybe like an outlier, but it's not completely absurd. That's like a, a rags-to-riches story. Someone who's born poor, but then becomes a great person. They become king. And we all like rags-to-riches story, uh, but that's not why I'm saying it's absurd. What's even more absurd than that is that this wasn't just a king. This was God. It wasn't just the the fulfillment of a coming king. It was God himself coming down in the form of a baby. God, the, the one who spoke the universe into being with a word, comes as a baby that can't say anything, right? The one who created Adam and Eve out of the dirt and blew breath into them. A helpless babe totally dependent on two young parents who probably didn't really know much of what they were doing. The one who destroyed the world with a flood. The God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob. The one who led the Israelites out of slavery. The God who sent the ten plagues to the Egyptians. The God who sent a pillar of smoke and fire. The God who parted the Red Sea so the Israelites could pass through it and then closed it on Pharaoh's army. The God who gave them the Ten Commandments. The God who makes kings rise and fall. The God who sent prophets to speak truth. The God who people thought was so wonderful, so mighty, that in his presence you might drop dead. This God, the God that the Jews knew and worshipped, came as a baby, as a helpless infant. I have an eight-month-old, and for those of you who are parents, or maybe just like, uh, have held a friend's a fa- uh, baby or a family member's baby, There's holding a newborn baby, you're amazed at how helpless they are. They're, they're vulnerable, right? You feel like if, if, you dr- if you made one wrong move, that could be it, right? They're fragile, they're delicate. And the God that they knew and worshipped, the God that they were in awe of, was here as a baby? It's kind of an, an absurd proposition, isn't it? I mean, it's a little bit crazy to think that the God of the universe came as a baby. And we try to make it a little bit more palatable sometimes using, like, theological language. Say, well, that is the incarnation, God in flesh. And 
in some ways, when we think about like the adult Jesus, that makes sense a little bit. All right, he's a man who's, who's flesh, but he's also God. I kind of get that. But when we think about God as a baby, God with no power, God stripping himself of everything and being helpless in a manger, it's kind of an absurd proposition. Well, even though it might seem a little absurd, it's not an anomaly. We should be shocked, right? This should be slightly scandalous to us. But then we should say, of course. Of course. Of course God would act like this. Of course. And that's the third point. Uh, This is a paradigm. This isn't an anomaly. This is a pattern. This is how God does things. And we see it throughout Scripture. We see it throughout the history of the world. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27 through 28, uh, we read, God chose the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of this world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are. This is God's paradigm. This is how God works. For whatever reason, he chooses to use the weak to shame the strong. He chooses to use the humble to shame the proud. He chooses to use the things that are not to shame the things that are. This is a pattern. This is how God works. So we know that King David is important. We know that Jesus comes from the line of King David. Well, King David's life is kind of a good example of this. Um, in First, Sh- First Samuel chapter 16, uh, Samuel, who's a prophet of God, comes to Bethlehem looking for a man named Jesse. Uh, the Lord had told him that uh, from Jesse's family, you're going to find the next king. So Jesse brings his sons, he has seven sons, and Samuel shows up and he sees the eldest son, Eliab. And Samuel thinks, this is, this is it. This is the guy. This is the king. And we don't, we don't really know why. Um, they don't explain it in the scripture, but I'm guessing he was like, a tall, strapping man. He just he looked kingly, right? And God says, no, that's not him. So Samuel goes to every one of the sons, and one after one, nope, 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 seven sons, none of them are the king. So Samuel says to Jesse, isn't there, isn't there anyone else? It's none of these kids. He said, oh, well, actually, I have one more kid who's out taking care of the livestock. You know, he's kind of like the errand boy. He's the one who wasn't even worth inviting because I know he's not the king. What was that? <laughs> and then, of course, we know how it turns out, right? Of course, the one who is unfit to even be considered is the one who's chosen, right? It's absurd, but of course, it's the one who's taking care of the sheep. He's the one who's going to be king. And then the next chapter, 1 Samuel chapter 17, we have this great story of David and Goliath. Uh, probably, probably you've heard this before, but David is still just a kid, He's a child. And the army of Israel is facing off uh, the army of the, the Philistines. And they have this great champion uh, called Goliath, who is a Goliath, as the name suggests. Uh, he's nine feet tall. He's the, big, the biggest man the world has ever seen. And the army of Israel is trembling before him. David was not there as a warrior. David wasn't part of the army. He came to bring bread and cheese to his brothers. That's, he was, like I said, he was the errand boy. He was bringing food to his brothers, and he sees this giant of a man mocking Israel, 
He says, this can't happen. We can't, we can't let this happen. So his brother overhears him. His brother hates him. He hates him for it. How dare this kid think that we're doing something wrong? But David goes to, to the king at the time, says, I'll do it. I'll fight him. And they, they equip him with armor. They put on his, uh, his sword and his tunic and all the stuff. And he can't even walk around. He said, I'm, I'm not used to this stuff. I can't do it. So David goes out to battle with a, with a staff and with a, a slingshot, right? And he comes face to face with Goliath. Goliath is mocking him. How dare you send this kid to come up against me? And David has this great line, you come, you come against us with sword and spear, I come in the name of the living God. And he throws the stone, hits Goliath in the head, and he drops down dead. And it's, it's absurd, right? This kid, this kid who shoots stones at wolves to, to scare away uh, the threat to his sheep, he's here killing the giant that made an army tremble. It's absurd. We're shocked, but then we say, of course. Of course God would do it this way. Of course. It's absurd, but this is how God chooses to work. And then we see Jesus' life, right? His, his ministry, his kingdom, right? If, if Jesus is here to become a king, that means he has a kingdom. And the theme of Jesus' life, his ministry, his kingdom, is that the weak are going to shame the strong, that the humble are going to shame the proud, that the things that aren't are going to shame the things that are. We see it throughout his ministry. Jesus didn't come as a conquering king. He came as a humble servant. So what did he say his new kingdom is going to be like? He said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you when men hate you. Great is your reward in heaven. Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. This is just how God works. This is who Jesus was and what he wanted to do. It's a paradigm. If you look at the disciples, the disciples, they were fishermen, they were tax collectors, they were nobodies. He didn't choose the best of the best. He chose the outcasts. He chose the people who were on the fringe, who were on the margin, and did something remarkable through them. There's this great passage in in Acts chapter 4 where the the disciples are, are... preaching the truth of the gospel, they're performing miracles, they're doing these great things, the religious leaders bring them uh, in front of them to kind of put them on trial. And we have this verse, in uh, verse 13 in chapter 4. It says, When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. They took note that these men had been with Jesus. Unschooled, ordinary men. Normal people. Just regular Nobody's. God chooses to use the weak to shame the strong. And then, of course, the only thing that's more absurd than God as a baby is God hanging on an executioner's cross, right? The created killing the creator. It's shocking. It's scandalous. It's absurd. But then we say, of course. Of course God would choose to do it this way. Of course the God who created the universe would sacrifice himself for the created. Of course the God of all power and might would make himself weak so that we might be forgiven. Of course. It's absurd, but we say, of course God would do that. So, 
know the kids are here today. Maybe this is confusing to you. It's like, is Pastor Jacob saying everything we believe is absurd? Well, I guess I am. I'm sorry about that. Um, The only reason why it seems absurd to us is because we think we know better than God. It seems absurd to us because we think we know how God is supposed to act. We think we know what he's supposed to do and when he's supposed to do it better than God himself does. But it's God's prerogative, right? It's God's choice. God chooses to use the weak to shame the strong. God chooses to use the things that are low to shame the things that are high. God chooses to take the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. It's absurd, it's shocking, but of course, of course God is going to do this. So two things, two, two points of application takeaway uh, as we wrap up. Uh, number one, keep your eyes open for what God might be doing. Just try to be aware of what God might be doing. Because if, if we believe this, if we think that God chooses to use the foolish to shame the wise, if God chooses to use the weak to shame the strong, well then I think God's going to come at us in some pretty unexpected ways. And if we're not looking, we're just not going to notice. Just like most people, just like there was no fanfare at the birth of Jesus, we'll just walk right by and not know that God is trying to do something in our lives. And that might even be your kids. Maybe your kids are the one who are going to teach you something significant. Maybe your kids are going to be the one to remind you who God is and how God acts. And then the second thing um, to take away from today is for those of us who want to be used by God, it's probably going to require a little bit of humbling. If we want God to do something through us and in our lives, that might mean we have to be the ones who become weak, who become foolish, who become nothing. Um, And that's hard for us, right? I mean, we're smart, we're capable, we're successful. You're all very good-looking. I mean, these things can work against us. Um, but that doesn't mean that God is going to use you just because you're qualified. God, God's prerogative, his choice, is to use the things that are not to shame the things that are. Uh, so I think our, our prayer should be the same as uh, John the Baptist, who says, he must increase, but I must decrease. The story of Jesus is, it's a little bit absurd, right? It's a little bit crazy, the God of the universe coming down as a helpless baby. But this is how God works. This is who God is and what he does. He doesn't come as a conquering king. He comes as a humble servant. He comes as a helpless babe. He comes as a savior who hangs on a cross for us. This is who God is. Let's pray. <clears throat> God, even though we're often confused by who you are and what you do. God, we're, we're thankful. We're thankful that you don't just choose the best of the best. You don't just choose those who are worthy. You don't choose those who are righteous. Because, uh, God, we know that, that none of us are righteous. Uh, we know that all of us are thoroughly flawed people. Uh, and we're grateful that you choose the weak. You choose the lowly. You choose the despised. You choose the foolish. Uh, So God, help us to see ourselves as those things. Help us to be humble. Uh, Help us to rejoice in the gift of Jesus Christ.
Uh, we're, we're so grateful for uh, that gift. Uh, we're grateful that you came down, uh, God of the universe, here with us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.